First Timothy chapter three. If you found that, why don't you stand, read together God's word. First Timothy chapter three, beginning in verse one. I mean, I'll start reading in verse eight, but verse one to seven is about the pastor, elder, overseer. That office, or two offices, as Kyler said. And that one has a full description in verses one through seven, what he's to be like, what his manner of life is like, what he looks like by way of his reputation, his ability to, to, to teach the word. And then Paul turns his attention from the elder in verse 8. He goes over to the other office. That is the office of the deacon. And there he gives us a full description of what that looks like and how that office should operate in a New Testament church. And this morning, we're going to take the entire service to dedicate that to giving a clear picture of the office of deacon and then the great honor of ordaining three of our very own to that office here at Hickory Grove. Let me turn your attention now. 1 Timothy 3, we'll begin in verse 8. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's begin there. Verse 8. <clears throat> Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. Those who serve well as deacons gain a good, a good standing for themselves and also Great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Join me as we pray. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit that you might be honored in this service, that you might remind us from your word what servant leadership looks like. And especially we pray for the three deacons and their wives, their families, Today, as you set them aside to serve the gospel by serving this church, we pray that congregationally, that you will use this congregation to encourage, to serve alongside, and to honor the Lord Jesus and live the gospel. So, Lord, I pray you help us today in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> by and large, by and large, the world has forgotten what servant leadership actually looks like. Servant leadership. And part of the redeeming call of the church, part of our job as the church, is to raise up from among our own ranks men and women that understand servant leadership. Servant leaders that love Christ, that will live like Christ, but also have a high ecclesiology. What that means is a, a genuine high view of the church, serving God in the church. The office of deacon, I mean, it is as old as the church. And today we have the high honor of setting aside several men, three here, and four at our Harris campus, set, setting aside several men to the office of deacon. 
Now, the men that will be on the stage in just a little while will ordain them. Each one of these men has uh, already displayed what it looks like, what it means to, to serve God and to serve the gospel, to do so in their own homes, to do so in the context of our local church here at Hickory Grove. Now, you may wonder, what is a deacon? What, where does it come from? Well, the office of deacon is born out of a need. You go back to Acts chapter 2, the church is born, and 3 and 4 begins to grow, and as it does, problems come along. Anytime you get a room full of people this size, you're going to have this many different opinions, this many different problems, and those problems and opinions sometimes clog the forward movement of the gospel. As the church in Acts chapter 4 and 5 and 6 began to grow numerically, Different kinds of people from different backgrounds joined the church and they started to clash a little bit. And there were some demands put on the church and those demands put on the church threatened the actual movement of the gospel message and the apostles got together and said, we've got to find a way to solve this. And the way they solved it was through deacons. The central purpose of any church, let's just pause here and say, the central purpose of any church must be to propagate and hold up the gospel of Jesus Christ. That gospel message is not just serving people. That gospel message is that God is holy. We are sinners separated from God, even though we're His creation, created in the image of God. That image of God in us is disfigured by sin to such a degree. We are, we are not just far away from God. We are dead in sin and in need of hope. That hope is the gospel. God gives us His Son Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, lived perfectly, then died on the cross in the place of sinners. God raised Him from the dead. And the gospel message is, if you believe that, you'll turn from your sin and believe that, you can be saved. And so the promise of the gospel has to keep going forward. Well, in Acts chapter 5 and 6, there was a danger. There was a danger that the gospel message would stop. Look, if the gospel message gets lost or watered down or distracted, you've got to be careful in church. Or when you get so busy that you get distracted off the gospel, if the gospel message gets lost in activity or loses its place in the centrality of the church, then the church actually ceases to exist. And deacons are given to the church to serve God, to serve the church, and to make sure that the focus of the church and its gathering on the Lord's day stays squarely on the gospel. And this morning we have um, we've taken a Sunday morning, set aside the Lord's Day morning, and we want to explain what deacons are, what they do, and the gospel standard that they must live up to. Let's talk about for a moment the word deacon. The word deacon comes from a Greek word. The Greek word is diakonos, D-I-A-K-O-N-I-S, if you want to spell it out in English letters, diakonos. And that word simply means to serve. You read the New Testament, if you did so in Greek, you'd find that word about 100 times in the New Testament. And only here, right here in 1 Timothy 3, as Paul describes the offices, and in Philippians chapter 1, when he writes to the pastors and deacons, 
Do you see it translated as deacon? When we first see the word or the office in Acts chapter 6, and Stephen is the most famous, in Acts chapter 6, they are described as those waiting on tables, deacon, to, to do the mundane, to do the humble work. And over the course of time, the church, as it grew, that word started to take on different meanings. It was used to describe all manner of service in the church. It, it meant to be a very versatile servant leader. Of the hundred times in the New Testament that the word diaconus is used, it sometimes is translated uh, to administer, to administrate, to care for, to minister to, to serve, to prepare, to provide relief. Sometimes it means to give support. In the book of Romans, Romans chapter 13, when Paul is writing about the government, he talks about what we would call policemen or soldiers. He uses the word diaconus, deacon. Now, for our purposes, we want to look at how deacons serve the church because of what Paul wrote to Timothy as he laid out the offices, verses 1 through 7, pastor elder, verses 8 through 13 is the deacon. Because a gospel church must have gospel servants. Gospel church must have gospel service. Let's just go through the passage, pull it apart like we always do, and then we'll go into our time of ordination. Let's look at the traits of a deacon right there in the text. Here's the first one. Number one, he must have gospel sincerity. Do you see it in verse 8? Gospel sincerity. Deacons must likewise be dignified. Dignified. What does it mean to be dignified? Does that mean he's got really good posture? What does it mean to be dignified? Means that he's wearing a tie like Kyler is today. What does it mean? He's be dignified. That word uh, dignified is the Greek word simnos. It simply means to be serious about Christ. To be serious about the gospel. To be serious about the obligation and the responsibility that comes with actually serving the church. Lifting up the gospel. Understanding that the office of deacon is not necessarily leadership. It's more servanthood. To, to, to walk onto the campus of this church as a deacon of Hickory Grove and to feel the weight of the responsibility that comes with making sure things go well in order that on a weekly basis the gospel of Jesus can be lifted up and the Holy Spirit used that to open people's eyes to trust Christ. That's what a deacon ends up doing. A deacon ends up doing um, a necessary, joyfully doing necessary things to do them in such a way that uh, when you read Acts, the book of Acts, to do them in such a way that the teaching and the preaching and the, and the gospel message can keep going forward. Knowing that, that in the world we live in, that people actually end up going to hell if they remain in their own sin. And what a, what a deacon does is move away all of those things that would be distractions so that the gospel knowing that, that your character, I mean, look, this is not just for, this is for everybody. That your character actually ends up reflecting this church and the gospel. That'll be gospel sincerity. You keep looking at verse 8, there are lots of descriptions there in verse 8. There also should be gospel honesty, honesty. 
Notice what the text says in verse 8. Deacons likewise must be dignified and not double-tongued. You don't have two tongues. That is not some sort of um, biological malfunction. That is a phrase that you see one time in the New Testament. That you, I mean, you, it's a vivid phrase that gives us an idea. You probably already know this. I mean, you've known people like this. That um, It's the idea of you say one thing to one person and another thing to somebody else. It's the idea that a deacon has, has an, an integrity and, and consistency. Honesty, not, not duplicitous, not manipulative. You know that your gospel message, whether you're a deacon or not, your gospel message is, is only as strong as your life integrity. Gospel honesty means that uh, you're able to speak the truth, to, you're able to speak the truth to do so in love, and it's believable. It, it means that your statement of faith actually is backed up by the message of your life. Gospel honesty, and then you, you keep pressing in there, you'll find uh, a third thing in verse 8, and that is gospel sobriety. Sobriety. Go with me there to verse 8 and see it. Um, not addicted to much wine. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine. I would press this beyond being a teetotaler, to not drink anything. I, I mean, I, I'm a teetotaler. Part of what comes with being a... I don't think you could be a Baptist preacher and do a lot of drinking. You can't keep a job in doing that. And in fact, I think this is the right way to go. But I think this is, this is more than just he doesn't take a sip of alcohol. This is pressing into the understanding of hedonism. We, we live right now in a world of excess and hedonism. And, and as, a, as a deacon, I think as a Christian, you actually stand as a sentry, as a gospel sentry, a, a man or woman that's actually capable of self-denial. To, to be a real example. A, a gospel man, deacon, is not ruled by his appetite or, or his passion. He's ruled only by his passion for Christ. A gospel man is not drunk with wine, but filled with the Holy Spirit. In, in such a way, and we've got... Right now, probably 300 kids, Hope, hopefully there'll be more, but around 300 students will be in this room six days from now. Half of them, I suppose, will be young men. Students from middle school to high school. We live in a world right now, it's very difficult for, for, for Christian parents to find models to talk to their young men and say, if you'll be like that. And part of having deacons in, in the church, really, is, is having men you can stand up and say, son, if you'll live like that, I mean, I need men I can point to. Say, just live like that. If you'll live like that, you'll be okay. And that's sort of what a deacon is. is not just serving. His life becomes an actual example. That's the kind of, that's the kind of man the church needs. A, a disciplined, humbled man that would not let any habit or desire or distraction get in the way of the gospel. Gospel sobriety. You might even just call it being, just being disciplined. 
I'm going to give you something else to consider. You'll find it there in verse 8. We're just sort of twirling around verse 8 here. And that is a deacon should have gospel-driven generosity. Notice what the text says in verse 8. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. You know what this carries with it? It's the idea. It carries with it the sense of actually being content with what God has provided and then faithfully recognizing God's good provision in your life and then being radically generous instead of worrying about money. Look, I think this goes beyond... I think, I think this goes beyond giving to the Lord through giving to the church. Like, I don't think that's actually generosity. That, that's just lifestyle. That's just your life. That's, that's living as a Christian. That's worship. That's part of who you are and dedication, even obligation to the Lord. Giving is like that. I think generosity goes over and above that. It's the idea of, 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 of holding on to people tightly and holding on to things loosely. To, to not be worried that you're going to get shortchanged. Look, I think this even goes, I may be getting off track here. I, I think this even goes into um, you being willing to be, somebody cheated you or wronged you or shortchanged you. Maybe even being broke if it means that Christ is going to be honored in the middle of that. That Jesus will be exalted. This sort of radical, gospel-driven generosity. There's more to it as well. I think in verse 9, come down another verse with me to verse 9. I think there must be gospel clarity. Be theological. The, the text says that they must, verse 9, they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. They must have a, a good understanding of what the faith, take that, that the doctrine, the faith, the Christian faith, have a clear understanding of what the gospel is, what the ramifications are, how to live it, what some of the doctrines that we hold dear to. Go to our website and there you can find the Baptist Faith and the Message 2000. You can find the New Hampshire Confession of 1833. You can find the Nicene Creed, the Chalcedonian Creed, the Apostles' Creed. Some of the statements. You ought to be familiar with, with, with where we are theologically. To, to know it. To be captivated by the gospel. To, to have a love for Christ that never diminishes. I don't want to have the image of a deacon being someone that's a... A cranky old man that puts out a cigarette before he walks into the church. That, that doesn't need to be. I need to stay to the script here, don't I? That doesn't need to be uh, what a deacon is. To, to, to hold the mystery of the faith, that the revealed, the revealed word of God that points to Jesus, the Son of God, who died on the cross, who purchased sinners to... To know that and to love that and to know it and love it in such a way that your conscience is clear. That you realize what it means to be a Christian and you think over those things. And as you do, you can reflect on your life and say, my, I'm not perfect, but my conscience is, is, is clear. 
I'm able to live it. To, to be able to rightly articulate. Like I think a deacon ought to be able to rightly articulate the gospel. You, look, if we go back to Acts chapter 6 and there we find the model deacon and the man named Stephen. If you see yourself in the, in the line of Stephen and you, you go and read his sermon, just go read what he said under duress. He was able, without having a Bible in front of him, he was able to articulate the story of, of, of redemption all through the Old Testament that brings right up to Christ, call for a decision. He preached with courage and conviction and did so with great passion and ended up, as he knew it was going to happen, ended up dying for it. To, to hold the faith, to hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience means you have this, this deeply held trust and confidence in the power of God that you're eternally optimistic, not because you wake up like that every day. You're optimistic because of the good God you serve and the great power of the gospel and God's call on your life to serve here at this church. That God saves people through the gospel and you do all you can to make sure the church is staying focused on the gospel of Jesus. Uh, gospel clarity. There is something else here in the text. You'll notice in verse 10... There should be a gospel reputation. I want to be careful if I can thread the needle here in verse 10. Paul says um, in verse 10, Let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Congregationally, we are a congregational church. And that means that the office of deacon comes up out of the congregation as nominated by people in the congregation and then tested by the congregation. We'll ordain men today. We do it in front of the congregation because the congregation becomes the means of accountability to these new ordered servants in the church. Men that, that already have been tested and questioned. This little phrase here in verse 10 brings up the, the idea of living beyond reproach. What that means is, it's not just living in such a way that is honorable, but living in such a way that is honorable and people know it's honorable. If you go and read the description in verses 1 through 7 about what the pastor is to be, one of the things that goes with being the elder, the pastor, is not just well thought of inside the church, he also has to be well thought of by those that are not in the church. To, to live your life beyond reproach means to live your life in such a way that if someone, if someone came up to me and had accused you of some heinous sin, that my first reaction is going to be, there's no, I know that guy. There's no way he did that. To be beyond reproach, to have a, a reputation that is so gospel-saturated as a Christian. This ought to be all of us, honestly. So gospel-saturated as a Christian. Look, you, it, it does matter. It does matter what people think of you. Because you might be the only gospel witness they hear. I'm not saying you live your life worried about how everybody's going to perceive you. I'm saying when you live for Christ, you make sure you do it in such a way that you are, you are adorning the gospel. You, you are beautifying the gospel. 
because you might be the first and only representation of the gospel that people see. That is living beyond reproach. There's something else in verse 11 and 12 and 13. And I think this is where we'll, we'll bring it to a close here. And that is, it ought to be a, a, a gospel-driven home, a gospel-filled home, a home that is obviously driven by the gospel, genuine. Let me just read verses 11 and 12, and it goes into the, to the marriage. Their wives, their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, sober-minded, faithful in all things. So, so let's just deal with the husband and wife. So we certainly believe um, in men leading in the home, Ephesians 5, and wives submitting. But you'll notice something. When Paul talks about this, he always has husband and wife, brings them together. And he says, these two both play such a vital part in making sure the gospel is seen and adorned and lived. How important it is for our deacons, and really for any of you men, how important it is to have a strong woman that is as theologically sound as you and loves Christ as much as you and lives the gospel. That becomes the picture. And Paul will even use it in Ephesians 5 when he talks about marriage. Marriage is here not just for romance. If you have romance, thank God you have it. But Hallelujah, brother. But that ain't the only reason you married. You married to give a picture of the gospel, and especially as you serve the church. Not only that, there ought to be a commitment. A commitment, verse 12, to your wife. Notice what the text says. The husband of one wife. Now let's, let's, let's not get hung up. I think that people have oftentimes used this to say, well, I mean, he's been married one time. As long as he's only been married one time, he can be a deacon. Well, the problem is that there are a lot of people that have been married one time still in that marriage and uh, they hate one another and can be a deacon. This has got to, there's got to be more to it than that. This is, this is not just that you've stayed together. This is, this is a marriage that reflects the gospel. You can look into that marriage. You can say to a young couple, you go and live like them. Here's, a, here's Ephesians 5. Husbands loving your wife like Christ does the church and giving himself up for her. So to have a wife that is consistent of a committed marriage, there ought to be some control at home. Notice what the text says. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. Managing it well. A good way to think of it is, <clears throat> like your home is a little church. Every man, ought to, you ought to think like this. Like your home is a little church and God has put you there to make sure that the gospel is, 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 is lived and seen and heard. If you've got children, they have their own will. You can't force people to become Christians. What you can do is live the gospel, articulate the gospel, and make sure your home is so saturated with the gospel that only the, it only just takes one spark, that there's so much tinder, there's so much firewood, that you, you, so much to burn, that if the Spirit ever moves, then that person will be saved. Treating your home uh, like it's a little church and pointing that little church to Jesus, to the gospel. Because ultimately, 
I mean, isn't that what all of this is about? All of this is about the perfect life, the atoning death of Jesus on the cross, His miraculous resurrection, His ascension into heaven, and Him saying, go and make disciples of all nations. And Acts 1 and 2, the apostles picking up the mantle and preaching the gospel and the Spirit descending, the church being born. The church growing to such a degree that there are so many people from different backgrounds that they needed servants in the church to make sure that the gospel wasn't choked out, but that the gospel would continue to go forward. And today we have one of the great honors of a church, the great honor of ordaining three of these men, our very own, this congregation, to the deacon ministry at Hickory Grove. Why don't you join me as we prepare our hearts, spend a moment praying, and as I pray, I'll ask the gentlemen to come and set the chairs up, and we'll move forward. Let me, let me pray. Father, I pray that your words from 1 Timothy 3, from Ephesians 5, from Acts 6, would be impressed on the hearts of the men here. God, thank you for calling them. Thank you for this church. Thank you for giving us leaders, servant leaders. And I pray that you will be honored today as we do what the church has done for almost 2,000 years. In Jesus' name, amen.